you real quick. I was handed a flyer. The uh, Selma Original Free Will Baptist Church is presenting something called Heart to Heart. It's uh, live music that's going to be taking place at the farm. If those of you are not familiar with where that's at, that's actually on 95. Uh, Highway 95, 215 Baton Road in Selma, North Carolina. So that's coming up uh, February the 23rd. February the 23rd from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock. So go out, support that. Just a lot of bands coming together. A lot of churches coming together to be a part of that. So man, go out and enjoy that. Amen? All right. Are you guys ready for a word today? Like two of you. I know. I know. Some of you Carolina fans, I'm one of them. I know we're licking our wounds this morning. It's all good. How many dookies we got in the house? Yeah, there's three in every crowd. (laughs) Guys, help me out here, please, guys. My mic is giving me some some crazy stuff going on. But anyway, so uh, how many of you guys are ready for a word today? There you go. Last week, we started a brand new series called Nope, Not Today, Satan, and we were very honest right up front. We said, hey guys, this is not a sermon series that's glorifying the enemy in any way, form, or fashion, but what this is, is a series that lets us know that there is an enemy of our soul called the devil who has schemes and tricks and weapons that he uses against us, and so what we want to do is know who our enemy is, we want to know the weapons that he uses so that at the end of the day, we can come out victorious, not defeated. And so that's what we're talking about. And so last week we said, you know, really there's only two options, two choices in life that you can make. There's the world system and there's God's system. There's the culture or there's Christ. There is Satan or the devil or there is Jesus Christ. And you understand that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's trying to take as many people with him as he can, but you also understand that Satan is a liar. He is a deceiver. He is the father of lies, the scripture says. The only time the joker is not lying is when his lips are closed. So the enemy is trying to trip us up, but Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. And so, you know, it's kind of two choices that we've got. We see these two options in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and 11, which is kind of our theme uh, scripture, if you will. It says this, be strong in the Lord and in his what? His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The devil's schemes. You understand that right now, the enemy of your soul is at the drawing board. And he's trying to think of ways to trip you up. To cause you to fall. To cause you to fail. So that you could be defeated instead of victorious. But again, we see these two choices in this scripture. There's, there's, the, there's Satan or the enemy. And he's got tricks. And he's got all of these different things he's doing to us. But then you've got Jesus who is mighty power. Now, let me ask you something. Which one can and should be winning? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus should be winning the battle. Matter of fact, if you have accepted Christ into your heart, the scripture says in 1 John chapter 4 verse 4, you dear children are from God and have what? Overcome them. Turn to somebody and say, you're an overcomer. You're an overcomer overcome them. Why? Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. 
Now you understand that you ain't so great and I ain't so great, but the one who is in us is greater than the one who's in the world. And he gives us power and authority and the ability to take a stand against the enemy and say, nope, not today, Satan. You're not winning in this thing called life. But unfortunately, the devil is winning on so many levels in so many people's lives. And so what we're doing is we're learning the schemes and the weapons that the enemy uses. The good news is there's only three weapons that the enemy has. He's been using these since the beginning of time. He used them in the Garden of Eden. He also fast forwards a few thousand years when Jesus was in the desert. He used them on Jesus when he was praying and fasting. And he uses them on you and I. It's nothing new. There's three weapons. What are they? They are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. In other words, you could say it like this. Pleasure, possessions, position. Pleasure, possessions, position. That's the enemy. That's what he uses. And so each week, we're going to be walking through these to see how can we come out of this thing victorious. How can we avoid the the traps and the snares that the enemy sets for us? And so we're walking through these each week. And then at the end of this series, we're going to have what we call a break-free Sunday. Come on, somebody. We're going to break free, and we're going to talk about all of that. But today, I want to deal with the first weapon that the enemy throws at us, and that is the lust of the flesh, or that is pleasure. Pleasure. So I want to talk today, how do we live in a pleasure-craved culture? How do we do that? How do we live in that kind of culture? Now, let me just be clear of something right off the bat. God made us with the ability to enjoy pleasure. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Nothing wrong with pleasure. Nothing wrong with having a good time. God gave us five senses, and those five senses are designed to enhance pleasure. But the problem is, when you don't put pleasure in the right context, that pleasure moves from being good to being a God. Little g in your life. The sad reality is the Apostle Paul saw this coming and he talked about it in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. He says, there'll be terrible times in the last days. People will be what? Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Let me ask you a question. Do you know anybody like that? Do you know anybody that that just lives for the moment, lives for the pleasure, lives for the high, lives for the night on the town? Do you know anybody? Don't point at them if they're in here, but do you know anybody like that? Let me ask you another question. Are you like that? Are you like that? How much influence does culture have on you? Now, before you answer that, let me me do a little survey real quick. I'm going to have a little fun with you guys today. Is that okay? Let's do a little survey. It's called fill in the blank. I'm going to make a statement, and I want you to fill in the blank. Are you ready? If it feels good, you'll get it in a minute. If it feels good, there you go. You're getting there, all right? Don't worry, be There you go. Thank God it's This blanks for you, okay? This Yeah, you know the ones. You know who they are. This but for you. It doesn't get any better than You see what I'm talking about? These these slogans here are more than just slogans because I think a lot of people have adopted this as an attitude. 
that says, hey, I want to be entertained. I want to be satisfied. I want it to all be about me. I want you to make me happy. And if I'm not having fun, then you've got to do something to make me have fun because it's all about me. So today what I want to do is I want to give you some tools to avoid Satan's pleasure trap. I want to give you some tools for that. But before we get into that, I want to make sure you understand why this is important. I want you to understand why this is so important to kind of, let's call it this, the high cost of overemphasizing pleasure. That's what it is. The high cost of overemphasizing pleasure. Why is it so important for me to get that? Number one, it wastes my life. When I overemphasize pleasure, it will waste my life. You understand that you're not just here to lay around on the couch all day, eat Twinkies and drink Sundrop, although that's a pretty good life. But you're not here just to do that. You're not here just to kind of lay around and just kind of aimlessly go through life. You have a greater purpose attached to your life. You have a divine design attached to you. You're not one in a million. You're one in seven billion. There is nobody else on the planet just like you. Turn to your neighbor and say, praise the Lord on that one. Nobody else is like you. You have a unique design. There is something special that God has gifted you with. And he's putting you purpose and destiny. And, and, and all of this stuff is inside of you. Do you understand that right now that God designed you and equipped you to do something that only you can do? Nobody else can do what you can do. There may be some that can come along and do something kind of like you, but nobody can do what you can do. So therefore, there is a greater purpose attached to your life. So why are we chasing after something that's going to waste our life? You know, it's interesting. Jesus talked about the various reasons why people fall into this trap. And he put it in terms of a farmer going out sowing some seeds. Luke chapter 8 verse 14 He says, there are those who hear the message, they hear the word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by what? The pleasures of life. The pleasures of this life. And so as a result of that, they never grow into maturity. Now let's just be honest for a moment. If you've been living in America for 30 years or more, then you understand that this is not the America it used to be. It's not the America it used to be. And I think one of the main reasons why that is, is because there is a slow but steady drift away from the principles and values of God. There's just drift that pulls us out. And and, and it's there and it's moving us away from God. And I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you. Let's go back to the 18th century real quick. The 18th century, America was known for independence. The 19th century, America was known for industry. The 20th century, America was known for economic power. Are you ready for this? The 21st century, you know what America's known for? Entertainment. (laughs) Somebody said Walmart. Dude, ain't nothing wrong with Walmart, brother. Walmart, we love you. This is on podcast, man. The 21st century, America is known for entertainment. The bottom line is this, guys, for our nation or us as individuals who make it up, whether you are a social butterfly, whether you're an introvert, whether you are in the lifestyles of the rich and ridiculous, or you are broke like no joke, yo, it doesn't matter if you are living for pleasure and not making a contribution in the world, you are wasting the one and only life God has given to you. You're wasting it. Why? Because there's purpose attached to you. 
So the reason why you have to be careful of overemphasizing pleasure is because it wastes my life. Number two, it tempts me to do wrong. It tempts me to do wrong. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, talking about Moses here, says that he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather to enjoy the what? Pleasures of sin for a short time. Have you ever heard someone say this, or maybe you've even said it yourself, man, that's ugly as sin? Have you ever heard that slogan, that phrase? You understand that phrase is not true at all. Why? Because sin is not ugly. Sin is attractive. Sin is seductive. The Bible even says there's pleasure in sin for a season. And we know this. And so we jump headlong into sin, chasing after pleasure, chasing after something that does not satisfy. We jump in this trying to get our kicks off. But what you don't understand is that when you get your kicks off, those kicks start kicking back at you. And if pleasure is your number one goal, the more kicks you can expect... Sin is one of those things where it will hold you longer than you want to be held. It will take you further than you want to go. And it will drop you off in a place where you do wake up and come to your senses. You'll be like the young son who was in the pigsty. And you're wondering, where in the world did this come from? How did I get here? Man, my family can take a lot better care of me than this. All of that is a result of sin. We know that, but yet it has an appeal to it. Someone said this, pleasure is the object, duty, and goal of all rational creatures. C.S. Lewis said this, we're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We're chasing after all of these things, like chasing after the wind, going after so many things, trying to find satisfaction, trying to find joy, trying to find fulfillment. We're chasing this when C.S. Lewis says, hey, there's an infinite joy that's available, but we're chasing after everything else. He said, it's like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. We're chasing pleasure. We're going after pleasurable things. So when you overemphasize pleasure, you understand it costs you something. It wastes your life. It tempts you to do wrong. But here's something that would surprise you. Because here's number three. It leads to boredom. It leads to boredom. Solomon, the richest man who ever lived, went through a season of life where he got caught up in the pleasure trap. And he describes the lessons that he learned in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And he says, I said to myself, I will try having fun. Anything I saw and wanted, I got for myself. I didn't miss any pleasure I desired. So in other words, Solomon said, man, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Doesn't matter. Whatever it costs, whatever it was, I went after it. I got it. But at the end of it, what did he say? He realized it was just what? A waste of time like chasing the wind. You can almost hear the boredom in this guy's voice. Man, I, whatever I saw and wanted, I got. Wherever I wanted to go, I went. I got. I did. All of this stuff, whoop de doo And you understand the reason for all this, right? The reason for this is because from the beginning, God established some laws on this topic of pleasure. There's two laws he established. Number one was the law of diminishing returns. The law of diminishing returns that says the more you do something, the more you feel like you have to do something. 
And so you wind up getting less and less pleasure from it. I used to love to ski. I would water ski. I would snow ski. I loved it. Lived for it. It was great. And so I did. I I would water ski a lot. I'd snow ski from time to time, but really more on the water side. And so I was water skiing, and it was great until one day it clicked. This isn't fun anymore. I don't like it anymore. Why? Because I felt like I had to do it over and over and over again. I used to be a deer hunting fanatic. Come on, somebody. Any deer hunters in the house like one of you? Two of you? I used to be a deer hunting fanatic. I would get up early in the morning and I would sit in the stand all day long, but that wasn't good enough because I had friends that would coon hunt at night. So I'd hunt all day long, coon hunt all night long, get up the next morning and do it all over again. And it got to the point where one day I'm sitting up in a tree stand and I'm like, this is miserable. All the money, all the time, there's so much more stuff I could be doing. There's nothing wrong with deer hunting, nothing wrong with anything. But for me... It became the law of diminishing returns. It's kind of like riding that roller coaster. You know, you've you seen that commercial that, that advertises the lottery, and you got that guy, and he's riding the roller coaster like the first two times. Woo! Yes! Yes! This is amazing! This is great! About the 20th time, my brother's sitting there talking about, oh, please stop and get me off. Why? It's the law of diminishing returns. So when you overemphasize pleasure, it will lead to boredom and that drive for pleasure becomes all-consuming in your life. There's also the second law, and that's the law of balance. Too much of even a good thing ruins it. How many of you know that's true? You ever go on a vacation and you're on that vacation and you come back home, what's the first thing you say? Man, I am so glad to be back home. I am so glad to be back home. I am so ready to get back into the grind and back into reality. I'm so glad for that. Why? Because part of what makes pleasure pleasurable is balance. It's balance. The fact is, the most miserable people I know are the people that live for the next pleasure. And somewhere down deep inside, they they know it. They understand it. They find themselves out there and, and, and they're stumbling around. And they could be sitting at an event... And they may be there physically, but mentally they've checked out. There always comes that time in your life when you start chasing out the pleasure and you're chasing after the next thing. There comes that moment in your life where you're sitting there and internally you're thinking there's got to be more than life than this. There's got to be more satisfaction than this. Why? It's the law of balance. You've got to have balance. You've got to have perspective. You've got to have variety. Without it, the result is boredom and despair. So overemphasizing pleasure, what does it do? It wastes my life. It tempts me to do wrong. It leads to boredom. Here's the, the fourth one. It destroys my character. It destroys my character. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 6. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. The one who lives for pleasure is not really living at all. They're just existing. They're just going from one fun fix to the next fun fix to the next fun fix. But can I tell you something? The self-indulgent lifestyle is a suicidal lifestyle. You understand Rome didn't fall because of external enemies. It failed because it was consumed with lust and pleasure. And some of you are sitting here and you're thinking right now, whoo, yes, finally a sermon where the pastor's not stepping on my toes. 
I've got my life together. I've got balance. It's great. It's wonderful. But let me throw a warning at you. This drive for pleasure, this overemphasis of pleasure, it happens in stages. It happens in stages. There's four stages. There's the fascination stage. You understand that nobody ever sets out to be a drug addict. Nobody sets out wanting to be an alcoholic. Nobody sets out wanting to be a compulsive eater. Nobody sets out wanting to be hooked on pornography. Nobody does that. But somewhere deep inside, there's that moment where there's that question. Wonder what it would be like to do this, do that, eat this, snort this, shoot that. It's the fascination stage. But then there's the preoccupation stage. This is where the wonder begins to occupy your mind. It's all you can think about. It's all you dream about. And it's it's just there all the time until you finally give in to the desire of it. And then when you give in to the desire of it, before long you fall into stage three, which is the addiction stage. It's where you find yourself talking to your friends saying, Oh, I could quit anytime I want to. I I can walk away from this. I, I I I can do that. And the law of diminishing return has kicked in big time. And the law of balance has taken all of the fun out of it. And then you find yourself in stage four, the destruction stage. I had one of my teenagers when I was a youth pastor. And I have his permission to tell his story. And when I was his youth pastor, I called him one day. Smoking cigarettes and cigars. He's a kid. I went to him and I talked to him about it. I said, man, I said, I... Now, this guy was an all-American football player. This guy was built, I mean, like, I know I look good, but he, like, looked really good. I'm being humble today. He looked really good. And I'm like, this guy is set. Scholarships, everything laid out, his life planned. And I went to him, and I said, man, I, yeah, man, I see what you're doing here. I just, Brother, don't you think that's going to lead to something else? Pastor, I got this. I'm good. It's all good. But you know, the the cigars and the cigarettes eventually turned into marijuana. Started smoking marijuana. And I saw this thing, and his friends and family saw this thing like a freight train going out of control. And he used to work with me. I had my own business at one time, and he worked for me, and he came to work high one day. And I talked to him about it, and had a long talk with him. And you know what he told me? See, he was in stage three at this time. You know what he told me? Pastor, I can quit anytime I want to. I got this. It's good. I got it under control. You know, I just tried it one time because all my friends were doing it. And I just felt like it's something I needed to do. Cigarette, cigars, marijuana, pain pills. Started popping pain pills. Every time I see him, this guy was high as a kite. Fell out of youth group. Life spiraling downhill. Cigarette, cigars, marijuana, pain pills, heroin. He was out of control. He couldn't stop. His life was spiraling out of control until the day came where he went missing for one year. Nobody could find him. Nobody knew where he was. Family didn't know. Friends didn't know. I didn't know. Nobody knew where he was for right at one year until he showed up the skeleton he once was. It's the skeleton. 
Oh, he, he's better now. He's got his family. He's doing great. But you know what? Because of the stuff he did, there's certain things he can't eat. He could never sit in a crowd like this because his anxiety is off the chart. You know where it all started? It all started with the fascination stage. So be careful how you sit there and say, that'll never be me. I'll never go down that road. All American scholarship ready to go. And he wound up in destruction. Philippians chapter 3 verse 9 says, Their future is eternal loss and their little g God is their appetite. Pleasure is the furthest thing from your mind when you get in that position. And, and, and everything around you that means something begins to dissipate. You're in the destruction stage. And here's what happens. You start building a wall. In this stage, you're here and you're building a wall between you and God, between you and your family, between you and the people that love you. You're building a wall. He got gone for over a year, close to a year. Why? Because he was building the pleasure wall. Because he was in the stages and he was spiraling out of control. Can I tell you something? We have become a culture that is stuck in stage three. We've become a culture that is stuck in the addiction stage and we're spiraling out of control and nobody has answers and nobody understands why and we're a culture that's building pleasure walls all the time between us and God, between us and family, between us and our friends. We're building these pleasure walls, but I don't know about you, but there is a righteous indignation rising up inside of me to look at the enemy and say, nope, not today, Satan. Enough is enough enough. Listen, do you know the weapon that you have that combats every weapon that Satan has? It's one word and it's Jesus. It is at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It's Jesus. Satan's got tricks but God's got power. Satan is always subject to our God and it doesn't have to be this way guys. Doesn't have to be this way. So what's the best way to help America? What's the best way to help ourselves? Let me give you three principles real quick. Three principles for avoiding Satan's pleasurable trap. Here's number one. Remember the real purpose of life. God made you for a purpose. We've already talked about that. And that purpose is greater than you being entertained. It's greater than you experiencing thrills. It's greater than you going out just feeling good all the time. And I know that sounds a little unconstitutional with life and liberty and pursuit of happiness and all that. But hear me today. God did not create nor our forefathers intend for us to get caught up in an addiction stage of pleasure. Never intended that to happen. And so we break that cycle by recognizing there's more to life than the next fix. There's more to life than the next pleasure. There's more to life than the next movie or the next food. Life is not defined by how soon you get to the next night on the town. And the fact is, deep down inside, we know this is true. The laws of diminishing returns and balance. And it's only a matter of time before it isn't fun anymore. And it leaves us empty and guilty on the inside. So why do we keep doing it? 
Why do people keep going down this road and down this trap? Well, for some, they're in stage three. They're in the addiction stage, and they need some help breaking free. But for many, I think it has to do more with peer pressure than anything else. Well, my friends are doing it, so I feel like I've got to do it. And if I don't do it, then they're going to make fun of me, and then I'm going to be an outcast, and so I'm, I'm just going to go with the crowd. But there's nothing new about this because the Apostle Peter said it perfectly in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 2 through 5. Strengthening yourselves so that you will live here on earth doing what? What God wants, not the evil things people want. Again, we talked about this last week. Talked about it at the beginning. Two options, two choices. Christ or culture. You're going to be controlled by God's plans and His purpose or the peer pressure in the culture and the enemy's purpose. Peter goes on to say, in the past, you wasted too much time doing what the non-believers like to do. You lived for the body and evil desires. You were getting drunk. You had wild and drunken parties. And you did wrong by worshiping idols. Sounds like he was writing it in the 21st century. Non-believers think it's strange that you do not do the many wild and wasteful things that they do. So they insult you. They pick on you. They throw you under the bus. They call you names. They walk away from you. But they will have to explain this to God. You know what he's saying? He's saying when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you get a new life. You get new purpose. You get new destiny. And you get satisfaction in knowing that your life has meaning. It has values. It has purpose. And there's no greater feeling than that. If you want a high that lasts, trust me, it's Jesus Christ and him alone. That's what will last in your life. Who cares if people insult you? Who cares if people walk away from you or make fun of you, call you a holy roller? Who cares about all that? You realize that a lifestyle based in pleasure is plastic. It's false. And it leads to a wasted life, destructive behavior, boredom, and destroys everything in your life. And ultimately, all of this has to be accounted to God. But I love that last verse there in, in, in that it, He says, they will have to explain this to God. You understand what Peter is not saying? Peter's not saying, who cares what they do? Like, I'm going to do me. You do you, boo. I'm going to do me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you should care enough to help people. You should care enough. Because you know that as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to constantly chase after something that leaves you empty on the inside. And the problem for so many people today is they feel like that's the only option I've got. Because when you're in that addiction stage and you're in the destruction stage, you can't see any light because you've built the wall. You've built the wall as if there's no way out. There's no one that can help me. I'm in this all by myself. And so you're building that wall of destruction. But here's what you have to understand. There is a way out for you. And I know that may be shocking to some of you. That you don't have to do what you're doing right now. There's a way out for you. You remember that real purpose is only fulfilled in giving your life to Jesus Christ. Discovering who he made you to be. And finding satisfaction in living his purpose out for your life. That is real purpose for life. So you remember the real purpose. Number two, enjoy balanced living. You got to enjoy balanced living. Ecclesiastes says there's a time and a season for everything. There's a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to play, a time to work, 
a time for seriousness, a time for silliness. All of these are God's will for our lives. But the bottom line is you were not designed to work 24 hours a day and seven days a week. You're not designed to do that. You're not designed to, to chase after the illustrious dream, the American dream, and never stop and smell the roses. This is not in your loads, so I want to give you something for free. You may want to write these down. I'm going to give you three things that you need to do in your life that is an absolute for you. And here it is. Number one, daily diversion. Daily diversion. Every single day in your life, you need to have a time where you step away from everything. You free your mind. If you're working all of the time, your mind never rests. Your soul never rests. It's an unhealthy habit. So daily diversion. Here's another one for you. Weekly withdrawal. Weekly withdrawal. What is that? One day a week, do something you enjoy doing that relaxes you. For some of you, if you laid around on the couch all day eating Twinkies and drinking some drop, it would make you miserable. Don't do that. Whatever it takes. For me, I like to go fishing. I like to just kind of hang out, be outside, be in nature, be with my kids. Do that weekly. Take one day to do that. And here's the third one. Annual abandonment. Annual abandonment. One time a year, you get away from everything and everybody. You get away from the phone. You get away from emails. You get away from social media. You really do that more than one time a year. But one time a year, you're getting away and you're taking a vacation with your family. And it's an annual abandonment. Have you ever known a person to kind of go off the deep end? And they did something that you never thought in a million years they would do. You know, most of the time, the reason why that is, is because they're so focused on accomplishment, they forgot to stop and smell the roses and they got burnt out. Jesus himself accomplished more in 33 years than anyone. But study his life. Look at what he did. He was going to dinners. He was hanging out. He was eating. He was telling jokes. He was fishing. There were times in his life where he was pulling away to rest and relax. If you don't build healthy pleasures into your life, you will be drawn to unhealthy ones. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with, I'd be a slave to my whims. There's nothing wrong with enjoying a lot of what culture offers. Nothing wrong with that. But don't let it dominate you. Don't buy into that belief that says my only purpose in life is the next pleasure. Don't be so purpose driven that you miss the balance of life. Enjoy life. Enjoy one another. Enjoy your family. Hang out. Go ride four wheelers. Go fish. Go hunt if that's what you want to do. But just go and relax. Real purpose for life. Enjoy balanced living. Here's the last one. Avoid destructive pleasures. Avoid destructive pleasures. The fact is, there are some things and some activities that God says, stay away from. Stay away from. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 says, Don't get drunk on wine that leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. You know, Peter talked a lot about this. He talked about not being a slave to, to any master. Don't, don't get addicted to anything. Even the good stuff. Do you realize you can get addicted to good stuff? You can get addicted to exercise. Obviously, I'm not doing that. 
My wife tried to get me addicted to running. Yeah, that didn't happen. I got about three quarters of the way in our neighborhood, and I fell down in the middle of the road and laid there, literally. I was on one knee gasping for air, and I said, there is no way under the sun God intended for this body to run. She kept right on going. Yeah, love. But anyway, there's even good things that you can get addicted to and caught up in. There's only one master you need in your life, and that's Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that Christianity is all about the do's and the don'ts. But it means that there are some things in this life that just are not healthy. Titus chapter 2 says, For the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled lives. How many of you would admit that's easier said than done? Going down that path. Here's the thing that I want to tell you today, guys. Some of you, you're right here. You're building a wall. This is your pleasure wall. And you're trying to push everybody out of your life, including God. But you need to understand that there's a way to break free. There's a way to get out of that trap. And it's Jesus Christ. It's following after Him. It's seeking Him. It's going after Him. You know, last week we made some commitments. We said we're going to seek the truth. We're going to believe the truth. And we're going to live the truth. Those are the things we said we wanted to do. And so where are you at right now? Where are you at in in, in that dynamic? Are you seeking the truth? Are you believing the truth? Are you living the truth? You want to be free from the pleasure wall? You want to break out and get free? It's giving your life to Jesus Christ. It's finding a new life in Him, finding new hope in Him, going after Him, saying, God, I'm giving you everything. I'm tired of chasing every party. I'm tired of chasing every whim. I recognize this is a trap from the enemy, but I'm going to stand in the face of all of that and say, nope, not today, Satan. You're not getting me. You're not getting my family. You're not getting my kids. You're not getting my finances. You're not getting my health. You're not getting me. Nope, not today. I'm going after you. I'm seeking you. I'm serving you. So stand with me all over the house right now. Won't you bow your heads with me? Father, we love you today and we thank you. God, we give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. Lord, we love you. We thank you for moments like this. God, moments we have just to hear from you. To seek you and to serve you. God, we give our lives to you. We give you everything we've got. Lord, this is the first weapon. This is the first trap. It's the pleasure trap. And unfortunately, Lord, we are living in a culture that has been defined by entertainment and pleasure. But Father, we're going to go against that. We want to be a culture that's defined by you. A culture that is defined by going after you and living for you and serving you and worshiping you. That's how we want to be defined. But it starts first with us accepting you as our Lord and Savior. By giving you everything we've got. 
So you guys are praying right now. Your heads are bowed. Let me ask you a question. Because this is step one. Have you been living your life for yourself? Have you been the CEO of your life? Have you fallen into this pleasure trap? Today's your day to break free. Today's your day to go all in for Jesus Christ and say, Father, I need you. And I love you. And I want you to come and live in my heart and live in my soul. God, help me. If that describes you in the house today, would you just be willing to slip a hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm, I'm tired of living for myself. I'm trying to, tired of doing things my own way. And I need Jesus. Father, thank you for these moments. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the pleasure of being here. The privilege of speaking your word. Speak into our hearts and help us, God, to avoid this trap. Help us to go after you, to seek you, to serve you and worship you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on, give God a big hand clap of praise where you are. We're going to bring our kids in at this time. Our teenagers are coming in. They're going to take part in our baptismal service. They're going to help us out here. Plenty of room up front. Make them teenagers sit up front. <laughs> yeah, bring the teenagers up front. If there's room. If there's room. Come on, give these teenagers a hand. There may not be room up here. This is, bring our kids in. Our kids are coming in right here. Make some room if we need to. For those of you looking around like, man, why are you doing all this? Because we want every generation to see what God is doing. That's why. We want every generation to see what God is doing. And the step that so many people are taking today to say, I'm going all in for Jesus. Now, you understand that this is just water. Water doesn't save you. We've already been over this for those of you who are being baptized. But this is like the wedding band. This wedding band isn't what made me married to my beautiful wife right there. All right, sweetie. You ain't paying attention to me? It's like the day I fell out on the road. What got Misty and I married was we said vows. We, we did that. She said, I'm going to submit to you, and it's going to be amazing and great. And I said, I'm just going to love you. And that's what got us married. This right here is the symbol of what's already taking place. So you understand the water is a symbol of what's already taking place in your heart, but it is a huge symbol. You say, God, I'm going public with my faith. I'm going all in. And guys, I got to be honest with you, it's a, little, it's a little bittersweet for me. It is an amazing day. It is a great day, but it's also kind of a sad day for me as, as a pastor because I'm baptizing my last son. My last son's going in today. I tried to hold him back. I said, man, I'd really rather you wait a little longer. And I, said, and I made a deal with him. I said, buddy, the last baptism we had, I said, if you'll just come and sit and watch, a serious moment, we'll talk afterwards. We did. I said, buddy, I, I don't know, man. You know what he told me? 
He said, Daddy, he said, I've already accepted Christ in my heart. Why do I need to wait? Preacher, come on, somebody. So I'm going to have my son to come up first. I'm done. Jesus. 